for all. Lord, we thank you. We honor you. We all say amen. You guys can go ahead and take a seat. I once uh, spoke a sermon where uh, I was so nervous. It was one of my first times speaking in, in Bible college, and um, midway through I looked up and realized I forgot to have everyone sit down. So <laughs> I was like, uh-oh, well, hello, everyone. Um, so <laughs> I wanted to make sure I had you guys sit down. And give it up for Mike. Thank you so much for reading that. That was so animated, and it was way better than anything I could have ever done. So I really appreciate that. And it was very, you hit the... Do not mourn the lilies. I loved it. It was passionate. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. So here we're talking about anxiety. And um, statistically speaking, um, one in three people struggle with anxiety. And not like, oh, I got a big test tomorrow, but crippling clinical anxiety. One in three people will struggle with that. So if it's not you, it's maybe the person next to you. Uh, I can tell you, it is me. I struggle with anxiety, and it is it is hard for me. I get anxious, and, and I struggle, and um, it, it's something that I struggled with as a kid, and it kind of came back to me, actually, in more recent years, in the past two years, actually. And so I'm still working through that, and we have a nice big chunk of Scripture to help us through that, and this is a place that I turn when I am struggling and having a hard time uh, just to hear the words of Jesus. It is lovely. So let's dive into scripture today. Verse 22 says, And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, or what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. So this is cheesy, and I'm sure you've heard this before, but every pastor will say this. Whenever you encounter a therefore in Scripture, you should ask yourself, what is it there for, right? Good, you've heard it before. So I'm not the first cheese ball to say it. Um, so we have to ask ourselves, what is it there for? Well, in this sense, it connects us to the passage before, thus reminding us further that Jesus is not starting a new thought, but continuing his previous thought bringing depth to what he had just finished saying, correct? So Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious. Well, what, was, what did he say right before that? Well, verse 19 of the previous, previous set of verses says, And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Finishing on that who, the one who is not rich towards God, Jesus then continues on and says, therefore, almost finishing his, his conversation about that, but then bringing in a broader spectrum, Jesus says, therefore, in light of, another way of saying that, in light of what I just said, understand this. Understand that you should be rich towards God, but what does that look like? Don't be anxious. In talking about contentment, don't be anxious about these things either. Beyond the greed of it all, let's look at something else that is plaguing our culture today in America. We suffer with greediness and wanting more, but in that, it also comes from a place of anxiety and wanting more. We struggle because of the excess. We'll talk more about that a little bit later. So Jesus 
goes on deeper than just the worldly possessions now. He now is talking about something as simple as food and clothing, things that are necessities of life, the bare necessities, like Jungle Book taught us all, right? Everyone remembers Jungle Book. Apparently nobody remembers Jungle Book. Jeez Louise. Pray for you all later. Go watch Mowgli um, as he goes on his adventures with Baloo, right? Anyways, um, we see this, and, we, and, I, and I, again, I'm, I love looking up words in Greek to see what exactly they mean, but here, anxiety, anxiety is the Greek word miramamno. I hope I said that right. I think I did. And it means to be anxious, but it means to have a terrible care for. So it means that your anxiety causes this deep trouble, this terror almost that comes over you because you care so much about that thing. Imagine that thought process that the struggle with anxiety and anybody who struggles with anxiety knows that this gripping fear just grabs a hold of you. And you can't explain it a lot of the time. Sometimes you can. Sometimes you can find the source. But in the moment, it's hard to find the source. And you become fixated on something. At least that's how I have experienced it. And plenty of people that I have talked to experience it in that way. And you become fixated on one thing and you want to focus on it, even though you probably shouldn't. Because you can't actually help it in that moment. That's how it is for me. My anxiety actually comes from a place of a fear of death. And before, when I was younger, um, I had a fear of death because I was afraid to go to hell, to die and go to hell. And it was, it was this thing that I didn't understand, but my grandmother, as much as I do love her, and she was uh, fantastic in a lot of things, she did lack tact in certain things, and this was one of them. And I, uh, one day I asked her a question, and she responded <laughs> by saying, yeah, then you die and you go to hell. And I s- became terrified, thinking that there was no hope, that there was nothing that I could do, even as a young child, that I was stuck and I was going to hell. So I built a fear of death, and in, in then anxiety would grip me, and I would not want to go to sleep at night as a young child and I would stay up as late as I could until my body couldn't take it and I would fall asleep and she never knew why or how that all came about but it was and that is a a further story for another time but I struggled with this for many years and it wasn't until I got saved and started understanding salvation that that fear left me but then I had kids and now the fear of death is not a fear of going to hell, but leaving my children that I struggle with at this point. And that's, I'm sure, something that all parents can understand, especially when they're so young. And when they act crazy, that fear dissipates just a little bit, and you're like, <laughs> maybe they'll be fine. But we struggle. We, as parents, we think about our children, we, we worry about things like that. And I can tell you that according to one Mr. Benny Hinn, The two greatest needs in people's lives are that they don't want to be sick and they don't want to be broke. Now, I am not quoting him as a theologian. (laughs) Even a clock is right twice a day, right? He is correct. His 
execution of that, unfortunately, is that God, therefore, must not want us to be rich or sick, and therefore, that's not what I agree with at all. Because God is the one who gives us all things, right? And Jesus teaches us not to be anxious, not to be worried about what we have. And we're going to get into that a little bit more. So as we see this struggle that all people come across with, at one point or another, we will financially be anxious. We will be anxious about our health. Anybody who's had a scare with a doctor knows what it's like to be fearful and have that anxiety build up inside of you. This anxiety and financially causes marriages to struggle because people fight over their finances. It's one of the biggest fights that people have in their marriages is finances. And it comes from a place of anxiety. But Jesus goes on in verse 24. He says, Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barns, yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies. They are how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God has clothed the grass, which is alive in the field today and thrown into the oven, and tomorrow thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Here Jesus brings up two things, birds and flowers. And this was always interesting to me because I thought, why birds and flowers, right? Well, what's interesting about birds and flowers is Birds tend to capture human attention more than any other creature. Why? They offer a sense of freedom. They can go anywhere they want. We look up at the sky. People literally, on their free time, go and watch birds. They bird watch. Anybody, any bird watchers in here? Raise your hands. Okay, I won't make fun. All right. So, but people literally would do that. They'll grab their binoculars, they'll go out. There's groups you can meet with that literally would go and watch birds. There's, they are pretty. I've seen, I saw a cardinal in, when, we were in, um, when we were in Pennsylvania. Cardinals are very common out, out there, and they're not out here. We have a lot of blue jays and sparrows and definitely crows uh, and seagulls, but out there they would have different birds too. And I started taking notice of the birds even while I was out there. And how odd is that, that you would take notice of something so insignificant? But that's because they capture our imagination. You see a bird and you wonder what it was like. I wish I could fly. Every state has a, a state bird. They also have a state flower. Because they capture our imagination. Flowers are interesting to us because they're beautiful. They smell nice. They, we like to look at them. We will pay five, even ten times more the worth of a flower just to have it put in a pretty design so we could put it in a glass jar and then have to throw it out a week or so later. It's interesting. When you put it in that perspective, when you start to think about these things in those terms, it's interesting. 
but birds and flowers. Jesus says, how much more value are you than those? And right smack dab in the middle, Jesus says something. And if then, or he says this, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to your span of life? If then you are not able to do something so small, then why be anxious about the rest? I look at that and, I, and as I was reading, I, I heard some commentators say Jesus was intentional about slapping this little thing in there. Because the other interesting thing about flowers and birds is they come with a sense of danger as well. We look at a bird and we think, man, can you imagine being that high up there flying? And then the thought inevitably comes, but if you were just lost the ability to fly in a moment, it would all be over. We see flowers and they're so beautiful, but they're so fragile. I watch my son go up and look at a flower and grab it, and I just watch that flower that was so pretty a moment ago crumble. And you almost want to be upset. Why did you do that? But you're like, it's just a flower, right? But we have this fascination with them. And the truth is, just as Jesus said, the flowers are so beautiful in, in the field today, but the next day we take them and we just throw them away in the fire. They're gone just as soon as we got a chance to admire them. It's over. Why? Because that's our life. Our life is but a vapor. And that is hard for us to come to terms with. The older we get, the more we realize. The more we lose friends and we see loved ones pass away, the more of a reality check that becomes to us. I think everybody in their life will experience loss if somebody, and when they pass away, the, the loss of their life, the death will be significant impact. For me, that happened recently. It's happened a few times, and I thought, like, this is the one. But recently, I, I, I lost my coach and strongman. He was 65 years old. He, he unfortunately got sick, um, and he ended up having a stroke and then passed away. And that was hard for me. It was, it was a hard one for me. I struggled with it. And it was one of those things that I even, I talk still about it to CC this day. It happened about uh, almost, a, actually this month makes a year. And it impacted me in a tremendous way. And I've lost family and I've lost friends. But for some reason, his death impacted me in a tremendous way. And I realized, man, how short life is. Right? When I was younger, I might not have thought that 65 was that young, right? But now I do. I'm like, 65? That's not that far off, man. <laughs> the older you get, kids, man, how lovely is being that naive? You're 60? That's like 100. Until <laughs> you start getting closer, you're like, that's nowhere near 100. <laughs> you better watch out. It's, our life is but a moment in time, it is a vapor. And yet God still reminds us in that you couldn't add an hour to your lifespan by your own power. You couldn't add an hour to your lifespan. The moment God says, that's it, that is it. And there is some sense of anxiety that comes with that, but there is a beauty in that as well. 
Because if God even takes care of the birds in the sky, if God takes care of these flowers in the field, how much more so would He you? You are of value to Him. Hello? God has blessed us. He has given us this great gift called salvation so that we no longer have to be anxious because the time that we take our final breath here does not have to be our final breath in all of eternity. Suffering for all eternity is not something that we are stuck with any longer because God was gracious to us. Because God in his wisdom and in his beauty called us for more. He didn't offer that to the birds or the flowers, just to his own creation. The ones that he molded by hand, the one that he breathed his life into. Understand this as something that I have to remind myself. Even if my next breath is my last, it was still of more value than anything else I see, than anything else I encounter. Understand that God loves you and that he cares enough for you to send his son to die he goes on he's all do not sink do not sink do not seek what you are going to eat or what you will drink nor be worried for all the nations of the world seek after these things and your father knows that you do need them instead seek his kingdom and all these things will be added to you. Jesus dives in and says, listen, don't seek after these things. Don't seek after eating or drinking. Don't be worried about these things. Because everybody worries about them. The nations, every single nation is concerned about themselves. All the people are concerned about self, but we are called to something else. He says, as a reminder, your father knows you need them. He made you. He knows that you need food to survive. He knows you need water to live. And if he knows that, then we can trust him. And in trusting him, if we just seek his kingdom, these things will be added to us. Imagine that thought. Jesus is going on from this conversation of being greedy, storing these things up for yourself, keeping these big barns and storehouses, making sure you're all packed up. And Jesus is now chopping away at those things and lowering that more and more. No, nope, not that. No, not that. All you have to do is seek my father. Seek the king of glory. Seek his kingdom. And all these things will be added to you. Again, I've heard plenty of people take this verse out of context. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. What they're, ta they're talking about, God wants to give you more exceedingly, abundantly, more than you can ever dream. Shake down, coming together, rolling over. I heard it all before, and I could tell you once again that is taking Scripture out of context because that is not what Jesus was saying. What Jesus was saying, God will sustain you. Not bring an abundance, 
not pour down money from heaven. I've sat in churches as they take tithe, they say, this is my tithe. I, can, with it, I give God my best. And they go on, they say, I expect bonuses and blessings, promotions at work, healing in my body, all because you gave $10. Tithe. I'm not telling you not to. Don't, don't do that. It's, Pastor John's not going to be happy about it. You guys stop tithing after I said that. We are called to tithe 100%. But the idea that your tithing will come back as a blessing is not biblical. We are called to give. We are called to support the church and to support the church folks, to support one another. We are called to do that. That is the call of the church. But when we make it about a give and a take, we are go beyond the anxiety of it and we now reach greed. I used to be anxious. I would, I would uh, if there was a time where I didn't give 10%, I would actually think that the Lord was going to yeah, I was going to get in trouble. I was going to get in a car accident. I was going to um, lose my job. Something. I was going to be punished because I didn't give that 10%. And I would, I would freak out. But that is, that is something that people have utilized for a long time to keep us thinking that God wants to give us more. So we give a little, God gives more. We sow the seed. But we just read that the ravens don't sow. They don't have storehouses. Yet God gives them what they need. God is the king. He is the great provider. So how do we trust God? How do we, how do we know we can believe God? Well, we have to understand who he is, right? So we say these things. We say God is the king. We say he's the great provider. But truly understanding who God is will help us seek him. Because if we don't truly know who God is, we won't seek after him. There's a fear in that. Jesus tells us, how many, how many of you would give your children a serpent if they asked for a fish? If you, being sinful, know how to good, give, good, give good gifts, how much more so your Father who is in heaven? God knows exactly what we need. All we have to do is seek after him. I've heard story after story after story of these underground churches and other places across the world. These people who are suffering, literally their lives are on the line for the sake of the gospel, but they seek God and they are well taken care of. And even when they struggle, they are well taken care of. And even when they are hungry, they are still well taken care of. This is something that we in America, we don't worry about. Even our homeless population is well taken care of without seeking first the kingdom of God. Jesus goes on, he says, Fear not, little flock, for it is not your father's good pleasure, or for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide for yourself a money bag that does not grow old with a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus makes it very specific who he's talking about here. 
little flock, my flock, my people, those who are called by my name. Listen, it is your Father's good pleasure to give you what? The kingdom. To give you himself. To provide for you him. If that's what we're seeking, and we remember the scripture we talked about last week, God gives you the desires of your heart. Once you're saved, your desire should be him. So once you seek him, he meets your desires. He fills you up. He has no problem giving you himself. So if God is not meeting our desires, we have to ask, what is our desire? What are we actually seeking after? I had a good conversation with, with someone recently. We, we talked about this thing right here, these, these beautiful things that everyone has, Bibles. They are something that I hold dear. I love having a Bible. I am a collector of Bibles, but I do not collect Bibles simply to hoard them. I do collect Bibles because since I was first saved, I've always wanted to pass out God's Word as much as possible. But we talked about this. I always am the type that think we should carry a Bible, a physical Bible. And I was talking to somebody who was recently saved, and we were talking about um, they had went to church their whole life, and they never, they always were like, well, I have my phone. That's good enough. I have my phone. That's good enough. I, I can just read on my phone. But the moment they got saved, they wanted a physical Bible. They wanted to hold it. They wanted to touch it. They wanted to, to it, there was something that shifted where she no longer was content with just reading it on her phone. She desired this, to hold God's word. She desired God, and there was a shift in her that said, this is no longer sufficient. I want to hold it. I want to feel the weight of God's word in my hands. And God met her there, and she held that Bible, and she, she knew it. And as we were talking, it never really clicked, but we started talking about it, and then she was like, you're right. I did shift from thinking, this is okay thinking that this phone, this device here, was sufficient enough. It's stuck in my pocket. That's my fault. I apologize. Pop sockets. Um, this was sufficient. No. She wanted something else. She desired something more. God gives you himself. It, it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's such a, to me, that was a, a beautiful representation of God just awakening in us, in the believer, a desire for him. A desire to actually, to actually grasp hold of something sweet. Now, these are paper, it's print, it's, it's this can go away. And, and these Bibles in the back of the seats and the pews, those are sufficient. They are, they are good enough. And you know what? If all you have is your phone, it's good enough. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is when you truly seek after God, your desires change in the smallest details to the greatest details. And the things that we thought were sufficient before all of a sudden aren't good enough. Even spending time in prayer, a five-minute prayer before your meal, sufficient for the day, and all of a sudden you want to spend a half an hour, an hour in prayer because you just want Him. 
It is God's good pleasure to give you his kingdom. He wants to give you his kingdom and who he is. He says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Grab for yourself money bags that don't go old. Store for yourself treasures in heaven. There they won't fail. No thief can approach them there. No moth can destroy it. And where you store up those treasures, there your heart will be also. If you were to take and have people lay out what the thing that's most important for it, we can go around people's house and we can pick out what are the things that are most important to you. We can step into your office, we can step into your bedroom, and we can find just by looking at what you're storing up for yourself what's most important to you. Stuff, food, all these different things. We could look and figure out what you value the most just by taking a quick look around. Jesus is making a case for contentment in a different way here. The Christian life is a minimalistic life. The Christian life is not a life in worldly possessions, in abundance of worldly possessions. The Christian life is one that is happy, content with just enough. It's, we can be joyous knowing that all we have is God. We used to call that beans, rice, and Jesus Christ. If that's all you have, it is sufficient. It is good enough. And that is true contentment. If you ask what contentment is, as Paul, as we talked about Paul last week in his description, I've learned to be content in the small and in the big, in the rich times and in the poor times. When I'm hungry and when I have more than enough, Paul lays it out and says, I'm content there. I'm a minimalist, and a minimalist, uh, you could be a minimalistic person and just have nothing, and still, or you could be a minimalist and have a lot just because the Lord has blessed you, but your contentment is not found in the plenty. It's found in the small. In our culture today, people are after a lot. People want a lot. People want more than what they have. It's cultural to want more. We talked about this last week. It is something that people have become anxious about the more. We have all these different things on social media. Facebook is constantly throwing ads our way. If you even talk about something, Facebook seems to know that you were talking about that thing and will throw that ad right in your face. You see how easy it is to buy it? Cece and I were talking about RVs. Wouldn't it be nice to have an RV? You just live in an RV. Facebook's like, RV, you say? Here's a couple of RVs. Here's a go to your marketplace. Guess what? Some people are selling RVs in your area, bud. Why don't you go ahead and get some? And we, I was like, okay, I might have to stab this phone. It's really creepy. It's weird. But here we have it constantly. Consumerism, more, all that stuff is constantly being shoved down our, our face. And we want it because everybody else, because our culture tells us we need it. But Jesus is saying, sell all your possessions, give to all that to the needy, and just be content with me and my Father. And what did he say earlier? And he'll meet your needs. He'll make sure you're clothed. He'll make sure you have what you need. It is countercultural to say you want nothing else. What do we say? Take this world, but give me Jesus. We sing that. 
We can sing that song, take this world, but give me Jesus. But the heart and the, the, the heart, the mind, the mouth all need to match. And then we're totally fine if we lost everything and all we had was Jesus. A life dependent on God, seeking his kingdom, desiring his glory and not our own could shift the culture. A recent study I, I was reading a few, maybe months ago, um, I actually, probably in the middle of COVID, I started, you know, as my, uh, my panic set in a little bit, I was like, okay, we need to buy a plot of land out in the middle of nowhere where none of these sickies can reach us, and we need to build a cabin for ourselves in the wood, and we'll hunt our own food, we'll get our own water, where can we go? I went there, I was ready for it. And I didn't, I had the Prius at the time. I was like, I can't go out there with this because that's not cool. I'm not going to be the guy with the Prius out in the middle of nowhere. So I was like, okay, we need to buy horses or we need a truck. But either way, it's got to be manly. That's what we need. And so I, I was really, really like, how do we do this? And I started, I bought this little survival magazine at the store because every great survivalist buys that magazine at the store while they're waiting to buy their Snickers bar. Um, and I bought this, and I bought this magazine. I started flipping through it and reading it, and it was, it said that a good portion of the American population is now desiring to go back to a simpler time, to go back to a small town, not a lot going on. They want that environment because the world has become so cluttered with stuff and things and noise. And I began, I talked with people about this, and as I was working in Pennsylvania, I talked to a lot of guys, and they were, every single one of them, a lot of them, when you would talk about like buying property or houses, none of them wanted a big house in the middle of the city. Everybody wanted to be out, away from the noise, just separated. The culture is now beginning to desire minimalism. The culture is now growing weary of all of their stuff, as the world often does. The world stomps and complains and begs and pleads for this thing, and then when they finally get it, then they're like, I don't want it anymore. We're tired of it now. And here Jesus is saying, it's not just about having less. It's about having less of this and more of Christ, more of himself. Church, we could shift the culture if we stopped thinking like the world and started thinking more like Christ called us to. And the church would be the biggest place of impact for the world if we showed them that life does not need the more. We just need Jesus. We just need the kingdom of heaven. And we are content and taken care of. God takes care of his people. What a beautiful representation of what God will do if we just rely on him. We talk a lot about being an impact to our culture, to our nation, to our friends, to our neighborhood. We should start that out with being content with God, showing those around us what it means to truly be content with him. Bow your heads with me this morning.
Father, we come before you now. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us your word, Lord. And even in the times where we struggle, where we have a hard time seeing you, you have called us, my God, not to be anxious, not to worry about the things that ultimately we can't control. Lord, your call for us was to focus on you. Your call was for us to seek you first. And Lord, I pray that we would do that. Without a doubt, Lord, I, I know that it is hard in our culture today to think in terms of less stuff and more of Jesus. I understand that, Lord, but your call on us is to focus on you. Your call on us is to be about your business and about your kingdom. So we ask in here, Lord, that you would help our hearts, Lord. First, help our hearts, Lord, not be anxious. Lord, because anxiety is plaguing our nation, our people right now. Anxiety plagues our hearts, Lord. And for those of us who are struggling, Lord, I pray that you would continue to be with us. Be our encouragement. Let us look to you, Father. Let us look to your word. And even when it's hard, Lord, I pray that we would have those come around us, those brothers and sisters in you that would encourage us and help us to find peace and contentment, Father. And Lord, I, I just ask that you would help. Help every single person in here, Lord, that's feeling in their hearts, Lord, that sees in their hearts that they are desiring things more than you. I pray that you would help us change that. Give us the mind of Christ. Give us the, the mindset of Paul. Let us be content in whatever situation you have us in currently. Let us not seek the things of this world seek your kingdom first. Let us store up treasures there, my God, right where you are. Let us preach the word boldly and let us live as those who have been redeemed. In your holy name, amen. Let's continue to worship the Father.